You know, I think about Nick and he would not want me to sit on the couch and be sad. He would not want me to not flourish and move forward. I know he would have said that to me because I would have said the same thing to him. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. Today's show is super special and close to my heart because my friend Amanda Klutz is joining me. Amanda is a former Broadway dancer, Radio City Rockette, celebrity fitness trainer, and a co-host of CBS's show, The Talk, aka she's a total force. But like many of our listeners, Amanda was rocked by a devastating loss in 2020 when her husband, Nick Cordero, died from COVID-19 last July. She fearlessly let us in on social media as she shared her vulnerability, pain, and grief throughout the experience. And I can't think of a more shining, infectious spirit to teach us all about what it means to be resilient. So without further ado, let me welcome my friend, Amanda, to the show. Amanda, thank you so much for being here with us. You're so welcome. It's so nice to be here. Hi. Hi. New year, new you. How are you doing, first of all? Yeah, new year. Um and uh, it's been exciting, definitely um, with starting my new job at The Talk, which has been keeping me super busy, which has been wonderful because it's nice to be busy. I like to work. I like to stay busy. And, um, and it's very comforting to go to work every day and have this new family that I'm a part of. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. What's life like being a, on TV? Is it different from being a dancer, being in shows, being a fitness trainer? You know, it just honestly feels like I'm doing a Broadway show, but in the morning, that's kind of what it feels like. You know, I, I go to work, I'm at my dressing room, I get my hair and makeup done. I put on a beautiful outfit and I go on stage and I, and I do a show. Uh, so it's sort of, it feels right at home to me, to be honest. Um, and I'm, I feel very lucky because I come home and it's just me and Elvis. So I, at least I get to go and talk to adults. Every day. <laughs> right. Elvis is a one-year-old for everyone listening. Um, he's not like somebody that probably can carry on a long conversation or no, any. Our, our conversations consist of trash trucks and boobs <laughs> and uh, let's see, bubble guppies and goldfish crackers obviously um, you know. yeah so uh, it's nice to go to work and have real conversations with adults and and feel like i'm i'm talking and evolving and growing in conversation which is very nice yeah and obviously so many of us uh, know your story and followed it last year but for anyone who might not have seen what you have experienced maybe we could go through it First off, I want you to tell me how you met Nick. Where did that relationship begin? Sure. We met doing um, the Broadway show Bullets Over Broadway. We were both a, both a part of the Broadway reading, which is kind of what they do before a Broadway show becomes a Broadway show. They get actors into a room and you read the script and sing the songs. Um, so we were lucky to be a part of that. That's where I first met him. And then we became friends 
uh, when we started rehearsals for the show and then we became lovers at when it was closing and almost done. But um, yes, Bullets Over Broadway, we were a showmance, as they call it. A showmance. How many years ago is this? <laughs> that was 2014 into 2015. Okay. Okay. So the showman's escalated. And when did the showman's become more than a showman's? Um, as the show was ending. So the show was slated to be the next big, huge Broadway hit, but unfortunately um, it was not. And it closed a lot sooner than everyone had hoped. And we closed in, I think, late August of 2014. And then, then that's kind of when we started getting closer and closer and, and started dating for real. And um, yeah. And how long did dating last until marriage? Dating lasted two and a half years. Nick and I, you know, I think this happens when you date, when you're older in life, you kind of are set in your ways. And um, so we but heads a lot with each other. I was also coming out of a divorce at the time. So I can't um, tap myself too much on the back. I was going through a lot emotionally. And, um, and so we were both in love with each other, but we had a lot of differences that we had to sort out. And so we broke up like three times mm-hmm. um, before we finally decided that, you know, we were going to be in it to win it. And you got married then in what, 2017? 2017. Yeah, we got married in September of 2017. And and so you're married. um, You're both these like beautiful performers, beautiful people, um, your second marriage. And you had baby Elvis, what, a little over a year ago? Yes. Little Elvis came June of 2019. So yes, we... We didn't have much time to waste, um, and we and we both really wanted a baby, so we kind of got to it as as quickly as we could. Um, and luckily, you know, he was just a little miracle that arrived in June of 2019. I love that he's adorable, by the way. And thank you. And you were living in New York, and then I remember this because Amanda and I have known each other a couple years now, and. By the way, I met Amanda during my Give It a Week fitness challenge in 2018, uh, pre-Elvis, and she taught me how to work out using a jump rope, which is fascinating. You could Google it. You'll, it's amazing. Um, so then you decided to move from New York, though, to L.A. What prompted that move? That was all Nicholas. Um, he he did this. He would get like these feelings that he needed to move on from either a job or a city. It happened when he left Toronto and moved to New York. And um, he really just felt like he needed to be in LA. We needed to be in LA. He wanted to buy a house. Um, All things that I also loved, but keep in mind, we had just had Elvis and my mom and dad lived across the hall from us. And my sister lived four blocks from us. And my other sister was 20 blocks south of us. So I had my entire family at my fingertips, which I knew was going to be very helpful with a brand new little baby. And Nick wanted to move us across the country. Um, So we definitely had some issues about that decision for a good long, I think, year we fought about moving to L.A., But um, Nick was very stubborn and I knew that he wouldn't shut up unless I just did it. And then we would see if it was a disaster or not. And we could always move back if it was. And of course, there was a part of me that, you know, wanted to move my fitness business to L.A. and give it a shot out here. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't 
all in vain on his part, but um, yeah, we decided to do it. We decided to move out to LA three months after Elvis was born. And uh, we moved in with our good friend, Zach Braff, who luckily had a guest house that we could stay in. And um, so we were kind of one big happy family on his, <laughs> on his farm. And so here you are in LA, it's the end of 2019, I suppose. And then the pandemic hits. Yeah. Yeah. And And what happened then? Well, you know, you would just, you were just hearing about it on the news. Um, I don't remember uh, it really kind of getting serious until March of 2020 here in the States. We had our apartment still in New York city. So we had to go back and kind of pack up everything from New York and do an official move to LA. We had bought a home um, and we were moving out of Zach's house and moving into our home and we needed the rest of our stuff. But at the same time, it really was when everything was, we, you know, we were hearing on the news about the coronavirus and it was getting really crazy. Um, so we questioned even going back to New York, but we had this huge apartment that we had to empty and put on a truck. So we flew back to New York and spent the first two weeks of 2020 in New York City packing up our lives. I was teaching um, and then we uh, and then it really got bad. Coronavirus really, really got bad. And we were leaving New York City and wondering if even to go back to L.A. because it was risky getting on the flight or if we should go to Ohio and be with my parents or if we should just stay in New York and somehow find another place to live. We were really confused, but we ended up going back to uh, L.A. And then two days after we got back is when Nick started feeling symptoms and uh, he was starting to get sick, especially at that time. You know, now everybody's getting tested and now everybody kind of knows if they've been in contact with somebody or they can kind of trace back to when. But back in March, it was so unknown and everybody was so, you know, clueless as to like what this was. So we have no idea how or when he got it. Um, and I don't think we'll ever be able to know, but, um, you know, but and it, you, yeah. And you and Elvis had both tested negative, but he tested positive. And is that right? Yes. But that didn't happen. Uh, you know, we were all living together in these close quarters for a week and a half. And, um, and then Nick went to Cedar Sinai emergency room. He had two negative COVID tests before he tested positive. And um, I was negative the whole time. I was tested once Nick was at Cedar Sinai. So, and then I got the antibodies test too, and that came back negative. So apparently I never got it, which is, you know, crazy, which is, you know, also what you're hearing these days, how you can have a family member get it. And nobody gets it. You can have a family member mm-hmm. get it and everybody gets it. Totally. And- and so Nick, did he stay at Cedar Sinai the, from the time he checked in? He was yes. there? Yeah. For 95 days? Yeah. And I guess as you're walk as you're thinking about those early days, was your mentality like it's fine? This he'll check in, he'll be out. He's young. He's going to get through this. It's not a big deal. Like, at what point did you start to worry maybe this was a bigger deal than you thought? Um, Yeah, I mean, it was exactly that. I dropped him off at the emergency room and I was like, I guess I'll just drive around and, you know, take Elvis on a walk. I'll be back and, you know, call me in two hours, you know, so flippant, uh, you know, thinking everything was fine. And um, 
Yeah. And I never, you know, really saw him again like that. You know, um, he was there for in the ICU for 10 days and getting better. And then on April 10th is when I got a call that he uh, was the first call that kind of really changed everything was when he died on the table for two minutes because of a high fever, his blood pressure dropped and they had to resuscitate him. And then that's kind of the spiral of it all. And, um, that's when I definitely first for, I mean, I mean, there were times like when he got admitted to the ICU, I was scared, but that, that was when I got really scared. Right. And your son is seven, eight months old at this point. He was 10 months old. 10 months old at this, doesn't understand what's happening. He doesn't know where dad is Mm -hmm. at all. So you're comforting him. And, and so the thing I remember most about you is that you were sharing daily updates <laughs> with this community. I mean, what your Instagram following went from like, what to what is like the, the world started tuning into you following the story and your positivity, like it, it's, he's pulling through. It was sort of this blend of positivity with caution. It's like <laughs> cautiously optimistic is the word we use in business a lot. Would you agree that's kind of the vibe you were trying to emit? And were you really feeling that way inside? Yeah, I, you know, it was such a roller coaster. Um, so many ups and downs and and ups and downs within 20 minutes. I would get a phone call from um, Nick's uh, main doctor and then 20 minutes later, later get a phone call from the hospital nurse that would be completely different from what I was just told 20 minutes ago. So it was really kind of just a daily battle of living that roller coaster too. Um, I'm an innately positive person though, in, in all aspects of my life. So I did, I did stay super positive. I mean, there, the next doctor said it from day one. Um, he said, Amanda, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. If we look at this with a positive light, we'll have options. If we don't, we have no options. So that stuck through me, you know, stuck with me, sorry. Um, and I just was always confident in the fact that Nick was 41 years old and that he would make it through this. Um, I, I really never, I mean, yes, there were times where I thought, especially towards the end that he wasn't going to make it. But up until then, I just always believed that he was going to make it. I, you know, I thought when he woke up, he was going to, you know, be awake and, and there with us and be able to talk to me. And, you know, I just always, I always kept thinking the best of the situation as possible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What was it about the social media community that either helped or hurt you uh, during this process? Did it did it help you to provide these daily updates to people? Oh yeah, it was a lifeline for me. It was, in retrospect, therapy. Um, I, I am just starting therapy now, and my girlfriend, who's studying to be a therapist, was like, 
one of the things that they'll tell you to do in therapy for grief or loss is like a lot of people suppress it. They don't talk about it. They don't talk about what's happened. And she told me, she's like, but Amanda, you did the exact opposite from day one. From day one, you were sharing this story. You were crying every day. You were getting it out. You were getting out these emotions. And she was like, that's kind of like what a therapist will encourage you to do after the fact, but you've done it through the whole thing. Because to be honest, I'm kind of having like a, a hard time with therapy because I, I don't know exactly what direction to go in with it, but I want to do it. And she told me, she's like, I think it's because you've sort of put yourself through therapy since day one with this whole thing. Um, so it was a lifeline. It was a support system. It was um, it was such a, a way to keep positive and in and I just, yeah, I had people, I had prayer chains and people praying for me and for Nick. And I mean, it was incredible. It, it honestly was incredible. I couldn't have gotten through it without it. Mm -hmm. I don't think. I remember you sharing from women who had reached out to you who had also lost a husband or a loved one. What were their words of advice to you as you were going through this process? Well, going through it, it was actually most helpful when I was talking to either people that had um, also had their loved ones in the hospital or had situations, uh, you know, um, like Nick's or talking to fellow amputees um, or fellow amputees uh, spouses. Um, I became very close with um, another uh, COVID patient, Greg Garfield, who was patient number zero in Los Angeles and his girlfriend and sister, um, they like became coaches to me on like how to help me with like asking things in the hospital that I had no idea I could even talk or ask about. Um, all of those things were super, super helpful. Um, when Nick was in a coma, what to, what to say to somebody who's in a coma over what face What do you say to somebody who's in a coma over FaceTime? Uh, exactly. You don't know. And uh, did well, you just talk to him like normal or you, you say who they are. You say you're Amanda Klutz. You live in Los Angeles. You have a son. His name is Elvis. You have, you're married to Nick Cordero. You have a mom. Her name's Maureen. You have a dad. His name is Fred. What, uh, they were telling me how, um, what you're experiencing right now is a fantasy world. This is not real life. You have to open your eyes to come back to real life because you have a life here on earth. You're, what you're experiencing is sleep and you have to come back. You have to wake up. Um, it's really crazy. And you have, to, you have to command things. You have to say, you have to wake up. You have to do this. Um, because they apparently, if they can hear you, which everybody said they can hear, um, that, you know, they're, they're confused. They don't know where they are. Right. I just watched this special on Netflix actually about afterlife and near death experiences. And it profiles all these people who actually died like on the table. One woman died in a kayak for up to 30 minutes. Like we're dead and heard voices pulling them back to earth, even though, even after they had seen spirits and you know it was, it's a fascinating documentary series on Netflix but it, it really validates what you're saying it's like they're in this sort of state where they could choose which way to go potentially yeah. and you're just so you're commanding him to come back to come back and how often are you talking to him 
I would FaceTime with him two or three times a day. I mean, pretty much as much as the nurses were able to to help me with that, which they were always so wonderful with. But I would try to do it as much as possible. I mean, you think about your loved one just laying there in complete silence. And so it's it's heartbreaking. FaceTime, FaceTiming Nick was one of the hardest things, I think, uh, almost even harder than being at the hospital with him eventually. Yeah. And you must have become such close friends with these nurses. And I know the whole staff was was cheering for you and supporting you. And so how long was Nick in a coma until he passed? Like when was the, do you remember the last time you actively got a, what, got feedback from him? Uh, before he was put under, um, he, he went, because when he woke up, he wasn't, he never like, he could never talk again. I mean, he couldn't talk. He couldn't move his body. He could only open or close his eyes or move his eyeballs left or right or up and down. So he was communicating with me like that, but you know, at the same time, all of those things were like little wins at the time, but it was, you just kind of never really knew what he was. And you could really only ask him yes or no questions. It was, it was hard. So the last time I like, talked to him, talked to him was um, April 1st when he went under and he called me that, you know, he, he was going to be put into a coma. And so, you know, 95 days in, what the, the doctors sort of said it's not working or how did, how did it all come to an end? And what was that moment like for you at long last, this positive, optimistic person to be forced to let go? I'm sure it was the hardest part of this whole process. Yeah, it was very hard. You know, we were all, including Nick, exhausted and tired and fighting so hard. And it, you know, it was, it was devastating. And it was, you know, did it still doesn't feel real, still doesn't feel like he's gone a lot of times. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just doesn't make any sense. And it, and it never will, you know? Yeah, I, I noticed you're still wearing your ring as well. So he's, he's with you. Do you get signs from him? Do you hear voices? Do you I, I wish I heard voices. No, um, I I do. I feel like Nick is definitely my DJ for life. I get into the car and I talk to him a lot in the car. And um, I always feel like he starts, he, he starts playing with the radio and puts songs on that I'm just like, there's no way that you're not doing this right now because there's no way that after Justin Bieber's newest hit, this song would come on. Like there's no, like no way. Um, so that happens to me a lot, uh, which is crazy, but that's kind of really the only signs I've gotten. I ha he hasn't visited me in my dreams yet. I, I hope that happens. Elvis probably has, has had some dreams with him. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. There's definitely times where I feel like he's, uh, there was one time in particular that I, I really felt like you're talking to dad right now. And I was just like, go at it. I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> and you've written Elvis a note every day, uh about his dad or, or what was the process you used to yeah. document all of this for him? Yeah, I started writing Elvis letters back in April. I don't do them every day. Um, but yeah, I started writing him letters just so that I could make sure that he knew like what was happening in this time and, and what he and I were doing and, um, and what I was doing and how we were handling it together. And, um, 
And so, yeah, I just keep them in his baby book whenever I write them. And and now I, I forget who gave me this idea, but I recently started an email address for him. So now I write him emails and then anything that comes my way about his dad, I just forward it to the email. And then mm-hmm. one day, like, you know, when he's 18 or something, I'll give him the password and he can <laughs> go into the past. And yeah, I did this. Uh similarly, but different for Dave, my husband, during our engagement, I made an email address. I won't say it because I don't want anyone to email him. Um, (laughs) It was a cute email address. And I wrote to it every day of our engagement. He didn't know it about how excited I was to be his wife and all these things. And my wedding gift the day of the wedding was the password. And so, yeah, it's similar, but I love that idea. And it, it is, it is so therapeutic to write things out. So so you were so you didn't know you were doing therapy. You were talking about it every day. You were writing down your feelings. How else did you normalize this or have you normalized it? And have has anyone else given you advice about how to how to deal with grief in this way? You know, the the best advice I've got about grief is that there's no way to handle grief. There's no right way because everybody handles it differently. There's no plan you can give someone. There's guides and there's books and definitely things you can read, but innately this is a journey that every individual that you individually take. And um and everybody takes a different journey. Some people can't get out of bed for six months and some people are like me, I can't I can't stay in bed for six months. Um, you know, it's a it's a different it's a different story. Right. I mean, you're, you've continued teaching fitness classes, launching a fitness app. <laughs> like you've literally been the opposite of being in bed. Has that ever been hard for you? Have you ever wanted to just you know, um, quit it all and just be like a hermit somewhere on a remote island? Like, um, Yeah, I definitely wish I could go take a vacation to the Grand Caymans and sit on the beach for two weeks and just read books. I would love to do that. I mean, for two weeks, and then I would come back and want to get back to work. But no, I'm a workhorse. I like to work. I'm a creator. I like to create. Um, I feel best when I'm doing those things. It is a way for me to really stress and anxiety. It makes me feel better. It brings a smile to my face, creating, um, and, and exercising and, um, you know, donating to charities and working with charities and all of those things just makes me feel a forward movement. And, you know, that is what Nick would want me to do. I mean, there is the other half of this where like on days where I am sad, which of course I have, or when, you know, especially at night when you're sitting on the couch and that's like a lot of times when, you know, the day slows down and you just start to feel alone and sad, you know, I think about Nick and I think he would not want me to sit on the couch and be sad. He would not want me to not flourish and move forward. He would want me to be the best mom I could possibly be. And he would want to see me grow and evolve and change as I would. If he if if he could have talked to me when he was passing, I know he would have said that to me because I would have said the same thing to him. I would have said, you will find love again. You have to raise our son. You have to do all your dreams. Like, you know, I I know he would say those things. So um, that helps too. That's a big, a big help because it's that thing in the back of your brain going, I have to make him proud. Hmm. And 
you know, in so many ways, taking the new job with CVS was this step forward. It is so fascinating how Nick was the one who really wanted to move to LA and your career is thriving right now. And does it, do you feel like there was a spiritual element to this even before it all happened? Like I, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a religious person. I, I, I love religion. I love my faith. I'm very um, rooted in it and I pray every day and I'm very thankful for all the blessings that I have in my life. Um, my, my faith and, and uh, prayer got me through still gets me through all of this. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I definitely feel like um, that, that God is with, Elvis and I now that God is with Nick and watching over us. And I think, you know, Nick is definitely our guardian angel and kind of up in heaven, kind of just like, I like to think orchestrating the whole thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) making sure we're okay. And, um, you know, leading us in the right directions. That's what I'd like to think. You know, I think grief is one of those topics that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people, even as I'm talking to you, I don't want to say something that might offend you. What could I say that would be wrong or across the line? And I'm asking this for all of our listeners who might not know how to talk to somebody going through the same thing right now. Yeah. So even after I've lost, even what I've gone through and I've lost my husband, you know, other people have lost, you know, loved ones that I know. And even I still ask this question, what, what can I do for this person? How can I help them? What can I say to them? And I think it's because like that journey of grief is so different for everybody, you know, that it's hard to know what to say and what to do. But we actually just had this man on the talk, this Rabbi Steve Leader, who is one of the most renowned rabbis in, in Los Angeles. And he just wrote a book and we had him on the talk. And he and I have very similar ideas as to how you handle grief with somebody. And he said it best on the show. He said, you have to show up as your authentic self. So if you are Brit and you are amazing at making people smile, if you have a best friend that has lost somebody, you show up and you make them smile. You don't come in the door with a long, forlorn face trying to win your drama Oscar nomination. (laughs) You come in as yourself because he said it best. He was like, because if you don't, it makes them feel like either they, if they were having a great day and you show up sad, then they have to feel like you have to come down to being sad And it makes you feel like the whole world has gone awry because they're counting on you to bring your smiles. Like if if Brit's coming over, I'm asking Mm -hmm. you to come over to smile, to bring me happiness. I'm not asking you to come over so that you can win your drama desk award. You know, it's like, you feel like you have to greet the person like, oh, hi, yeah, how are you doing? Are you okay? And you're really like, you're, you're doing this and there's so much yeah. like grabbing the pearls and sadness. <laughs> do people do this? Oh, she, she, oh. Amanda's touching her chest right now. Kind of. Yes. Oh, yes. Like, it's just like how people physically do that to you. Yes. And, and okay. it's very, it's very hard as the grieving person because 
when, if I'm having a great day where I'm not sad, then you've just brought me down to this weird, sad place and it doesn't feel real. But if you were just being your authentic self, like Steve said, just show up and be your authentic self is the best advice I can give. That's really good. I remember Cheryl Sandberg, who I also know, who lost her husband, not through COVID, but, um, and you maybe, maybe she talked to you through this. Did she? She talked to me a couple of times. She's been very, very sweet and helpful. Yes. Yeah. One of her biggest pieces of advice that I remembered is you should ask them, not how are you, but how are you today? Yeah. And because every day can be so different. Do you agree with that? Yes, it, that is 100% such a great way to ask somebody that's lost somebody, how are you today? Because it is a day-to-day basis. And there are times where like, you know, my mom and dad will call me up and they'll ask me that. And I'll be like, mom and dad, you know what? Today, I'm having a great day. I had a great day at work. I'm going to go down and I'm going to film some stuff for my app. And um, Elvis is having a great day. And we have, you know, somebody coming over to hang out with us later. And you know, so today's a great day, you know, so it, it is so day to day. It's hour to hour. It's minute to minute sometimes. And do you think the five stages of grief are real? I forgot what the order they go in, but it's sort of like the anger, sadness. They did not work for me. I, I printed those out as soon as I lost Nick because I am type A. So I was like, grief in Google. And, uh, and that's what came up. And so I was like, okay, so right now I should be feeling, you know, I think it's anger and that was not me. And so I, I also, because I, you know, I don't feel like I have to follow any kind of plan in life ever. I was like, okay, well, I don't, I'm not, that's just, that's not how I'm going to handle this, which is fine. Um, so I, it did not work for me, I, but again, it might help other people, but I just felt like every day is like some sort of stages of grief and you can go like, I don't think there's not like, for me, it didn't work because it wasn't like, oh, I'm done with my anger chapter. What do I, what am I moving on to now? <laughs> oh, I'm moving on to sadness. Okay. It's like, you know, no, that did, you know, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, so it didn't work for me, but it might work for other people. Right. And and so obviously a lot of people are going through this right now, but they're isolated. What is your best advice for people who have no choice but to self-soothe? Like they don't have people around them. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I'm dealing with that a lot right now too, because uh, COVID in LA is really, you know, uh, the numbers are are bad. So I get home from work and I kind of just sit here, you know, by myself. Um, it is, that is very, very hard. And this whole last year has been super isolating. Um, you know, luckily there's a lot of things you can do over zoom, zoom therapy, there's, you know, zoom, um, uh, classes, there's, you know, a lot of, well, a lot of ways to connect with people over, you know, the computer and online. I would definitely suggest that because I do think it is healthy to talk to someone, you know, to, to see another face, even if it is over a computer, um, because our minds, you know, if left alone by ourselves, we, you can get, you can go to a dark place, you know, you can definitely get yourself there. 
And I am a strong person. I have the ability to get myself out of dark places. Again, like I'm a, I'm a glass half full optimistic girl, but I know that that's not easy. I know that's not easy for everybody. And, um, and sometimes it's not that easy just to say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be sad right now. Um, so I would just, I would just say to try to find some kind of zoom something so that you can have some sort of contact with somebody. And you mentioned you started therapy, but you're figuring out <laughs> how to how to do it. Would you recommend that for people based on the knowledge you have now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, therapy, though, for me is like dating. You have to find the right person. And um, and it, it like dating, you know, you can have a, a first date with somebody and not really start liking them until the fifth date. You know what I mean? So I would also say that for a therapist, you know, don't be like, oh, well, I didn't like them. You know, you might not have the first time. Give them three or four or five times before you decide. Because even like a girlfriend, like my best friend from high school, I we were enemies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. So normal in life. It's like opposites attract. So you know, it's, it's, you have to go easy on the therapist, I think, because for the first couple of sessions, they are trying to just like get to know you. And, mm-hmm. um, so you have to, you know, be gentle in that process. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a process. I think that that's the most important thing to remember. And what do you say to people who may have a loved one in the hospital and they don't know what the outcome is going to be? What are the tips and tricks to navigating that hospital system that you learned, but also navigating the purgatory of not knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah, that, no, that is very, very tough. And, you know, when this all started, I was so green with hospital life because I had never been in the hospital before, except for having Elvis. Nick had never been in the hospital. I had never had anyone in near or close to me in the ICU I did not know I could ask questions. I did not know what things meant. I didn't know that I could even ask to FaceTime. Like, I mean, I was so green. And then by the end, it was like, where's my medical degree? You know, I thought. <laughs> like, so I Dr. can, Clute. yeah, I'm like, so I'm a doctor exactly. now, right? Like, right, obviously, I know all the things. So I would say, try to ask questions and don't be afraid to be an idiot. I brought so many things to the table because I literally was not afraid of them telling me no. I was like, I heard about this. What about this? And a lot of times they would laugh at me or not laugh at me, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously they're looking at me like, oh, you know, yes. I'm cute, cute girl, like trying to be a doctor. (laughs) I know why you think that would work, but it, it won't work. But I never let it bother me. And I think it's okay to challenge these, uh, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the, you know, keep them on their toes and, and collaborate because, um, there's a lot of information now, especially about this disease and, and the virus and what's helping and what they've tried and what isn't helping now. Um, there's so much information and people are sharing it now. And, you know, I was just, I was never afraid. I was, I was on phones with, people, doctors in Israel, doctors in Maryland, doctors in Denver and, you know, uh, in Toronto. And it just never, I never stopped asking questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions because if you don't, no one will. 
You know what I mean? You know, I, I was just never afraid to say, you know, well, why, why can't we give this medicine to him? You know, like, it, you know, and sometimes it questioned them to be like, you know, I don't know, maybe we can't. And, you know, so mm-hmm. you just never know. Good. Great. What, what do you see for yourself over the next one or two years? Like, what is, have you dreamt like what life could be for you? Are you able to dream? Um, you know, I feel very, I feel I am very lucky to be in the place that I am in right now. I, I love my job at the talk. I love, um, my fitness business, uh, built that from the ground up and, um, it's doing very well and I'm very excited for the app and I'm happy that I get to still teach classes, even though they're over zoom. I'm, I'm excited for the apparel line I created with my sister and how that's going and how much money we've been able to give to charities in the short months uh, that we've been in business. Um, so I think for, and I'm excited for my book and, and what kind of possibilities that can bring. I think for the next year or two, I would kind of just love to um, continue to work on those things and see them grow and, you know, kind of really find a nice rhythm in my life and, and be a good mom to that little boy. Cause he deserves the best. And that's always the first and foremost important thing to me is just to make sure I can give him every opportunity I possibly can. Totally. Especially as he's learning to become a little human and starting to talk and walk and all of those things. Is there a favorite quote you have? I know you're like, have your AK positive quotes of the day or thoughts of the day. Is there one or two that you go back to? Well, I, I always go back to like my mantra, which is make yourself as big as you can. That's my, my kind of uh, overall theme and for life. You know, I think uh, we, especially as women, um, tend to make ourselves small or not be proud of the things that we do or not, you know, are scared to say that we're a boss and we did this and we worked hard for it where a man will easily do that. Um, And I, I just encourage that in my life. I'll encourage it in Elvis's life. And um, I think it's important to remember to make yourself as big as you can, wherever you are. I've never heard that. I love that. It's that's uh, like pushing yourself to your edge. And when you do that, your edge moves backwards a little bit and you keep pushing and pushing so that you're growing and growing. And, and clearly you've done a lot of growth and a lot of work pushing yourself to make yourself so big. Um, Amanda, this has been incredible. We like to leave our listeners with a piece of homework or something that they can try or infuse in their life this week. What assignment would you task our audience with today? Oh, um, I would assign you to wake up and find a positive quote and write it down and all day long, just come back to it. It doesn't have to be in your face, but put it somewhere where it's like subconsciously you're seeing it. And um, start your day off with a positive thought. I've done that for the last, I think, four years of my life. Um, and you can you can use mine if you want to. They're always on my Instagram stories. But I think that it is a mood shifter, a um, subliminal message the rest of the day for yourself. And I think that it's impossible to be negative if you're thinking 
positive. Yes. So well said. So well said. Um, Amanda, truly, I love you. I'm so honored to be even asking you about this story, the most meaningful thing that's ever happened in your life. Thank you for letting your guard down with us for this past little bit and, and teaching us a little bit about how to move through grief and be so resilient. I aspire to be like you should I ever face the same. Oh, well, thanks. It's so nice to see you again. You too. And everyone, you can find Amanda on the internet. Do you want to give them the links and the handles and the app and all the things that they can know? Yep. Uh, my fitness uh, website is amandaclutes.com and uh, Instagram at amandaclutes and at amandaclutesfitness. Um, and you can watch me every day on the talk on CBS. Love it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Ali Ives and Ali Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson.